Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird. I am your host, um, and we are kicking off our spooky season. Uh, It's the month of October, so we are going to chill and thrill you with a selection of more horror-centric podcasts. Um... Matt Parmley, my usual co-host, is not going to be with us. Um, I can speak for him a little bit, but just to give uh, people a heads up, um, Matt just has a lot going on um, in his life at the moment, um, and he uh, just has a lot of priority priorities to take care of and a lot of family obligations. Um, uh, so he will be stepping away from the podcast for a, for a bit. Um, I know he definitely will be joining us for Godzilla minus one um, and some other things, but uh, but yeah, he needs to take a break because, um, like I said, he's got family obligations and time as an adult is finite, my friends. Um, and uh, there's not always time to just fart around doing a free podcast, but I have no life um, and. I am lucky enough to have some good friends that can help me carry the torch of Kaiju Transmissions. Uh, Matt was very adamant that we we keep the show going. Um, so who do I have tonight? Uh, a uh, I have a rogues gallery of familiar faces, or voices, rather. Um... I have uh, becoming a little bit more of a fixture uh, here as a guest. I have my friend Lux Edwards. You said you were here because you had no life, and I feel very seen by that. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. Um, I have my good friend from uh, Mazer Patrol, Kevin Derendorf. How can you kill that which has no life? That must mean we're immortal. It's <laughs> a great question. And uh, it's October, so longtime listeners know that uh, in October, fellow horror buff, uh, my good friend Tom from the Final Forum Dragon Ball podcast, he bursts through the KT studio, sets up a cot, and he doesn't leave until the end of October, um, whether we like it or not. So, <laughs> I, I'm. Uh, it's funny. I'm excited to be back actually because it's been a while since I've been on Kaiju Transmissions, which you wouldn't know 
if you follow Kaiju Transmissions, <laughs> because an episode we recorded like a year ago just dropped like a week ago. Yes. It's, yeah, it's like being in a weird time vortex. Uh, um, but I've been getting my soul crushed by all the new unfortunate kaiju content <laughs> lately. And it, yeah. I am excited to be on talking about things that I like. I had some people that that wrote it to me that were, were bummed that you couldn't uh, make the Gamera episode, but... It just would have been uh, even nastier. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, uh, yeah, we 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 are definitely here to talk about something that uh, I think we all enjoy. Um, and October is just a good time. I mean, any time's a good time for horror, but October. Um, at Kaiju Transmissions. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll, I, there's some stuff I'm going to be... Some pain I'm going to be putting you guys through this year, but it's going to be mostly good stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just to get into the the, the season, um, do, uh, do you folks have a, uh, like, uh, any plans for... October, any any uh, regular uh, October viewings you have? Anything you want to maybe binge for the first time and so on and so forth? I think probably all of us spend October watching all kinds of horror movie content and maybe marathoning certain franchises. Uh, I usually take October to, to go and visit a franchise I've never seen before. Oh, there you go. Uh, while also peppering in like some of my favorites from other stuff I've already seen. Uh, this October, let's see. To, to talk about previous ones, I think a few years ago I did all of the Ring movies and all of the Grudge movies. And then last year I did all of Nightmare on Elm Street movies because I actually hadn't seen all of them, just a handful and this year, I think I'm going to finally watch all the Friday the 13th movies, because I actually haven't seen all of those either. Oh, really? Okay. That's a fun... That's a good franchise to yeah, that's watch a fun. Yeah, that's a fun journey to take. I thought you were going to say, like, Ghoulies or something. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not at Ghoulies yet? <laughs> They're going to watch every Amityville movie. Oh, God, yeah, that's... <laughs> that had crossed my mind earlier this year. I usually keep, like, the really bad franchises for the middle of the year. I keep October for something I know <laughs> is going to be, like, entertaining. Like, when I watched all of Hellraiser, I did all of that in, like, June. That is... It's, a... like, around the same time that Trev and Sorcy and I did it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that man. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know that 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 just sounds like such a miserable it's misery. <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> it doesn't sound in, like that. Just sounds horrible. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, I, I, I haven't done a franchise, a full franchise watch in October in like a lot. Probably since I first started watching, like really watching a lot of these, like Elm Street and. Friday the thirteenth and stuff. So yeah, I don't know what I would even like I don't like I don't like I don't know. I seen the first saw and I thought it was okay. Like I never felt like I need to watch like twenty of these. 
Um, Saw six is the best. After a while, one. you run out of big franchises, and you're like, okay, time to binge all the Warlock movies or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wishmaster. Once you run out of big franchises, though, you can always do like themes. You know, because I, I used to do a very similar thing to Lux. Like I would either do an A to Z kind of thing, or. Uh, like one year I did all of the Universal Monster movies because I had only ever seen, you know, the couple of really big ones. And yeah, then, you know, then one year I did like, because I go crazy. I <laughs> Historically, historically, I'm like a two to three movies per day person when it comes to October. So one year I did like all of this. I did all Halloween, Nightmare, Friday, and... Texas Chainsaw, like, all in one year. Once you get to the end of the big franchises, you can do, like, oh, I'm going to watch the 30 supposedly best werewolf movies <laughs> or the 30 best vampire movies, whatever. You can, you, there's plenty of things you can do to still stick with giving yourself a theme. And then just throw a chopping mall in there. Oh, there's never, there's never a bad reason to watch Chopping Mall. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I, Kevin, do you have any uh, seasonal uh, traditions or go-tos? Or well, Generally, I do try to do the, uh, the horror movie uh, marathoning, um, although this year it's going to be a little bit different because our plan is on, maybe not on Halloween itself, but maybe the day before, the day after, we're going to go to uh, Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights in okay. Osaka. So, yeah, you're you're deep. traveling. <laughs> yeah, no. we're we're gonna be uh we're gonna be in Japan. Yeah, at that you, time yeah, year, you so. you should be taking that in instead of sitting around watching <laughs> watching movies that you can just watch at home. <laughs> yeah, and then this this year is a like I i'm not doing a theme this year for the first time i'm just kind of giving myself a break from that and i'm just revisiting i'm doing a combination of like the other day in in our facebook thread of like 10 werewolf movies were thrown out and i hadn't seen like four of them and i was like oh i'll I'll watch all four of those and so i'm gonna do a combination of classics slash recommendations i haven't seen Old favorites, you know, got to watch the Monster Squad every yep. every October. I do that one. Like that. And then I'm actually working on revisiting some stuff that everyone says is great that I haven't previously enjoyed. Oh, that's where your Descent rewatch came so, from. So, yes, yeah. that's so far I've the only one I've done so far is the Descent. But I did like it better than the first time I saw it. I still think it's a really overrated movie where, like, it traditionally ranks in like the top five of horror movies of the last like 20 years and i think it's fine going in knowing my problems with it helped me enjoy it better though i might check that one out again and dog soldiers probably maybe um the one i always get yelled at for is 28 days later that movie's Uh, awesome i'm not big on that one either i'm not big on 28 days later either I found the only other people in existence <laughs> that feels that way. I'm surrounded by you. I wouldn't mind giving it another shot. It was just one that I watched, and I was just like, yeah, I, like, no. I was just like, what's the big deal? Like to be fair, my, my, ta- 
my taste in zombie movies is very hit or miss, to be fair. I, I'll say that, that there's a lot of very good stuff in that movie. I just mm-hmm. think that I have a couple of like qualms here and there that kind of sour the the overall. Yeah, when I think exactly. Yeah, when I think back on certain scenes, there's scenes I think back of very fondly. But then when I think of like how the whole thing kind of adds together, it just doesn't doesn't land with me. I mean, I, I, I like I said, maybe that's one that you know I'll give another shot too. I mean, I've reevaluated. I feel about things a lot, and no, all these movies that I've I've mentioned, I haven't watched in like twenty years. So, um, and then over on Final Forum, we're doing our typical not horror stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you can only do scariest Dragon Ball something like twice, you know, and then and then you you run out of that real real quick. So what we do is we take we take October as the opportunity to get into fringe stuff, basically stuff that you know is in some way related to Dragon Ball, kind of, but just gives us an opportunity to talk about something other than Dragon Ball, basically. So last year, <laughs> like when we, we did, did a, a Godzilla commentary, just because. Toriyama had a cameo or whatever. Yes. <laughs> like, we, even when we did the commentary, we literally, like, we were like, I think that might have been him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not easy to see in the movie itself. And, uh, and we also did Don Dracula, uh, which is, you know, based on Sama Tezuka's yeah. manga of the same name and featured, I think, one of the screenwriters or something that also worked on Dragon Ball. This year we're doing Halo. We did a Halo franchise discussion. That'll be what is out. what is that? Where does that... Uh, one of the directors who worked on a lot of the Dragon Ball movies and the Dragon Ball Dragon Ball portion of, of Dragon Ball. <laughs> uh, not not the, not the Z or Super oh, okay. portion right. so much. He, uh, one of the directors, uh, directed a segment of Halo's first foray into attempting to really expand the the franchise, and he directed one of the segments for Halo Legends. And if you know going in that one of those segments is directed by a director of Dragon Ball, it's super easy to tell which one it is, because <laughs> it's basically like. A dr- like Dragon Ball plopped into a Halo skin in a lot of ways there's, uh, in terms of the humor. There's gotta be a Gege no Kitaro Dragon Ball connection somewhere. I mean, they're both made at toy. Well, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, with, with as many anime incarnations as that franchise has had, I just have to imagine there's there's some connective tissue there maybe um but yeah like uh well both of them also had movies as the as part of the manga matsuri right so yes they actually curse of the blood rubies and one of the gege no kitaro movies premiered at this like they were on the same bill together Hmm. Mm -hmm. well there you go we'll have some kitaro stuff uh and then we're gonna have trev on to help us with a drunken master commentary 
which that is Akira Toriyama's favorite movie. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I was, I was I was waiting for the connection. Like, okay, a lot of a lot of elements in it are based, or not like a lot of elements of it you'll see kind of pop up in Dragon Ball when you watch the movie because um, I've watched it to do my research and we just need to record the commentary. There's like parts where you're like, oh, that's like that part right there is a Dragon Ball. Like that is exactly in Dragon Ball. A lot of the training stuff. Drunken Master is good. I'm more of a Drunken Master 2 guy, but I like them both. Uh, that's what I've heard. But <clears throat> um, That wasn't listed as Akira Toriyama's all-time favorite movie. So. Well, maybe he's just dumb. I don't know. <laughs> um... He's one of those people who just kind of like leaves movies on in the background. So. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, um, yeah, I have my kind of favorites. I have, you know, Monster Squad, and I, I like to get into, you know, I guess the more playful horror stuff, um, you know, the Evil Deads, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, I always have to throw in at least a couple Universal and Hammer movies. Um this year, I think I'm gonna go hard on Italian horror. Um, like I have, like uh, you know, from these like Kino Blu-ray sales and stuff. I have like stacks of like Mario Bava stuff, and some of it I've watched before, some of it I haven't. But um, I have enough to make probably make that like a big thing for me to get through this October. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Italians uh, they know how to do horror, so. Um, and I'll probably rewatch some of some favorites, like you know Tenebrae or something like that. Um, yeah, Tenebrae. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, our film of the night is um, nineteen uh, sixty what sixty eight, and uh, this is Kuroneko. Kuroneko. Kur- Coroneco. There you go. Um, we had a big conversation about how you shouldn't say the long A sound. And I did it anyway, I know. <laughs> uh, Matt, I mean, Matt's not here. I, someone's got to yeah. do it. It's obligatory. Um, written and directed by Kaneto Shindo. Um, probably most famous in the West for Onibaba. You guys did that on. We haven't done Oni Baba right? yet. Um, it's oh. it's one that I toy with like every year, and maybe we'll do it next year. I don't know. Uh, it's just for whatever reason. I know I'm wrong. I was explaining this uh, off air. I know I'm wrong, but for whatever reason, I don't think of it really as like a horror movie. I think of it more as like a thriller suspense thing, and then like. The last, like, five minutes, it just goes, like, full kind of EC comics. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, that's probably one that we'll do, you know, next year or something. But uh, I, I like that movie a lot. But um, this one has, just has a little bit more of that spoopy fall atmosphere to me. Um, so uh, it is... Um, oh, uh, yeah, also, uh, I guess for kaiju fans, this probably doesn't mean anything at the moment, but, uh, Shindo also wrote The Whale God, which is a really fantastic movie that, um, should be getting a Blu-ray release here very shortly, um, from SRS, and it's one that, um, when that comes out, 
just buy it. Um, but anyway, this is yeah. You should have it pre-ordered already. Yeah, frankly. yeah. You really should. Um, I, I I like to explain to people that uh, imagine like a Odo Island movie. <laughs> Only instead of Godzilla, it's a big whale thing. Um, so this movie, the the actual translation of this title is Black Cat from the Grove. Um, and it was released here with the less uh, American-friendly title of Kuroneko. Um, why Kuroneko instead of something that we know what it means, I guess. Does yeah. someone know the answer, or are we just I don't, guessing? I don't think we know, but... I definitely don't know. Because, <laughs> like, I wonder like, if they strayed away from using... Although, it's funny, because, like, you'd think they would lean into using, like, Black Cat because there's already so many movies named Black Cat. You know, the the... The Universal films, the uh, there's a ton of the Roger yeah. Corman movie, the and and by this point, I think there was, was like a couple others by this point um, that were based on the Edgar Allan Poe story. But then that I don't know, maybe there was a reason is like they didn't want to get into any sort of legal issues with the Poe estate over the use of the black cat. Oh. But also the content here is so dramatically different from all of those <laughs> that maybe they just wanted to distance it. I, I think there's an element of that, and I think there's also a matter of, especially with these, you know, more more art house uh, Japanese releases, they tend to like to keep them foreign because people like to have foreign titles. So you know, Gojira. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not it's not the bodyguard. It's Yojimbo. It's not uh, to live. It's Ikiru. You know, uh, so it's not the it's not the black cat, which again could be confused for another movie. But it's also you know you have this foreign title and you think oh that's uh, that that that's that's something clearly Japanese uh, to you know appeal to the you know nineteen sixties weeb demographic so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so you 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 say you know Koroneko. Uh, and uh, the the full title, though, I think you know, if they went with the uh, Yabu no Naka no Kuroneko, then it would be too much for people to remember. Um, but I mean, the the title is not without significance in that you know uh, the the Yabu no Naka. That's you know among the bamboo uh, reeds or the bamboo grove. Um, that's that's the title of a Ryunosuke uh, Akagatawa story uh, that was then adapted by Akira Kurosawa into Rashomon. And there's a lot of similarities between this and that in terms of, you know, there's it takes place at Rashomon Gate. It has the the murders in the bamboo grove, uh, so to speak. So it's it's definitely like playing on something that audiences in Japan would be familiar with. So I don't know, maybe they should have called it something like Black Cat of Rashomon or something. Is that what they mean when they say it's based on a folk tale, a supernatural folk tale? Because I've seen some sources say this is based on a specific folk tale, and then others say that it is like 
I don't know, more or less inspired by elements of Japanese folk stuff. Uh, no, I mean the, the the story in the Grove is not, you know, the, the it, it's it's not a, a folk tale that this would be based on. I think it, they're just specifically. This feels like it's it's borrowing from a lot of folk tales because there's all of the the, the kind of ghost cat stories, um, but then there are bits and pieces of, uh, you know, like the the story of the 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 samurai who, like, marries a ghost. Like that's a different story, and and then stuff like that. Um, stuff so, that's yeah. in like Quiden and yeah yeah. So it, it kind of feels like there's a little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B that they're like drawing on different different inspirations and making a bit of a mashup here. Uh, and you know, it's it's based on a, a folk story in the broad sense that like yokai are a thing in Japanese yeah. culture, uh, but it's not like specifically like a pre-existing story that I'm aware of. This seems to be playing on the two, uh, I guess, folk elements of um, one being uh, Onryu, right? Yeah, uh, the, it, which the is vengeful female spirits. Yes, vengeful, vengeful spirits of people that those were that were abused. Yeah, usually female, and then um, the black uh, supernatural cats that are shapeshifters, which is a uh, Bakaneko. Right? Am I? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, it's kind of a combination of both because it's not quite one, it's not quite the other. Um, you know, for example, those, uh, those Bakaneko cats um, are, you know, s- supernatural cats that um, are, they are shapeshifters, but they eat the person whose form they take. Um, in this, the ghosts don't seem to be, you know, um, they seem to just be the ghosts of these women who also happen to, for whatever reason, be cat ghosts. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, 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 a throwing a few ideas in a blender here. Um, Anyway, people at home are probably like these guys sound crazy. They're talking about ghost cats and shapeshifters and and uh, uh, you know murders in a grove. What is all this? Um, so, uh, Tom, since you are uh, uh, you know kicking us off with our October uh, uh, your October residence here. Um, why don't you give us a little uh, plot setup for for this movie here? Yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's really like it's fairly straightforward. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like your average Tuesday. You know, you're out with your roving band of fellow samurai and bandits. You come across a, a small hovel with a with a river running outside of it. You decide to just drink straight out of that river go in the house, steal the food from the woman and the girl that are in there, rape them six ways from Sunday, and and then burn the house down and leave. And then for some reason, they put a curse on you <laughs> and and treat you like the bad guy. And, and, and their ghosts come after you and start ripping you and your friends' throats out. It's like, we've all been there. <laughs> I can't say I've ever been there, Tom. 
but that's I mean that's the that's really that is as uh, as I don't know trite or um, sarcastic as that was that is the basic like setup of of the movie the the then the rest of it is we come to find out that um, the reason a woman and her is it's her daughter-in-law right? yep. like yep. It's the yep. yes yeah yeah um, but it's pretty common for the wife to move in with a man and his family yeah I, th- I think so, that's I think stuff like that's still fairly common yeah so the reason these two women are alone is because the men were dragged off to war to to go fight during this this period of great unrest in feudal Japan as you know everyone's trying to kind of overthrow the emperor and the emperor's trying to consolidate power and make sure that he has all his um you know his power and his 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 samurai and everything in place to maintain that power the men got dragged off to war and during this 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 war this this happened to these women which i'm sure in general was probably not an uncommon story you know that that's that like that kind of Game of Thronesian kind of thing, where during these periods of great unrest and struggles for power, terrible things happened. Yes. <laughs> um, so the the son slash husband has been taken off to war, and uh, we end up finding out throughout. It, it's revealed in little bits, but. The these this there's a samurai, this great samurai who has just recently won a major battle for the the. Is he like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not shogun, not like the daimyo. Is is Raiko like a daimyo? That's the guy that's like in charge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I believe he is. Yeah. So, so the the. He is this great this great samurai called Gintoki, or is it Jintoki? I I don't know. Gintoki. Of the Grove has won a big victory for for his daimyo Raiko, where pretty much everyone died, and the last two men left standing were I forget the exact name, but like they called him the Bear, and he was like a giant who was super hairy and super powerful, and was like. We see him, you know, clubbing people to death with a club right before this great samurai actually manages to get one over on him and, and win. And he then comes back to the daimyo. I was like, look, I, I brought his head back for you. I killed him. You know, he told me that he was the bear, so I killed him. I, I'm, I'm awesome. Look how great I am. And this guy's like, you are. You're one of my great warriors. And, you know, we'll tell legends about you. But also, I... There's there's these these ghosts keep appearing at the the Rashomon Gate and killing my samurai. I need you to go and look into it and and get these ghosts or these whatever they are. I don't believe in ghosts. I this is there's here's another spot where it's sort of playing on all kinds of folklore. The this this Raikou is like I don't believe in in ghosts or spirits. I was told that there was a demon at Mount O. Or Oi? Oi, yeah. Oe. Yep. 
and I went and it was just like some guy, but <laughs> I killed him and then told everyone that it's a demon because now I'm the dude that killed the demon. Um, so he's like, so go investigate these killings and, and, you know, kill whoever's responsible. Doesn't matter who it is. We'll tell everyone that you killed some ghosts and your legend will grow even more. And it turns out that this, this Jintoki of the Grove, who's being sent to go stop the, the, the ghosts, the murderous ghosts, is the husband slash son. Yeah. And, um, you know, then we get into the the movie gets into like its big drama and conflict of he's out to kill these two ghosts that are killing all the samurai and that's his mission as as being passed down actually by the the emperor himself ultimately these orders are coming from the emperor and so if he doesn't take care of it he'll be killed and disgraced and his you know name will be worthless and everything but then it's his wife and mother and also on the flip side they are honor bound by a an oath they gave to the whatever the revenge gods of hell basically that they will come back and they're allowed to come back as long as they kill all samurai yep because that's they said we we want we just want to get revenge all samurai, and so yeah. they they have to kill him and they don't want to cuz it's this you know it's your son slash husband and he has to kill them and doesn't want to because it's his mother slash wife and that's without getting too spoilery for a movie that's almost 60 years old that's that's the the conflict then the yeah with the whole samurai caste system that they're trying to the the, the women are basically trying to get rid of because of the situation that happened. Um, there's definitely a, a somewhat of a, the Onibaba has this too, somewhat of a subtext uh, there or s- something with, you know, about um, classism. Um, and uh, I know um, I have it in front of me cause I have the criterion Blu-ray. Um, but uh, there's an interview in the booklet where um, they ask him, uh, they ask Shindo if he's a Marxist, and he says, "All he says is uh, Marxist. I am a believer in socialism. I can say that I am a socialist." Um, so there's definitely a certain kind of undercurrent of, I guess, uh, these people in a higher social standing um, being kind of. Uh, um, killed off scum yes yes there you go <laughs> yes and not even just that but throughout the movie they're all shown to be um inept at what they do they're lying about their uh the everything that they've achieved um and they all talk about how they don't care about the peasantry that yeah the peasantry don't matter to them. And every time they go back to Raiko, he's always being like pampered and, you know, massaged. And, you know, he has these beautiful uh, women that are constantly serving him. And he just has that, like, if this was like an 80s, like, crime movie, he would be like a fat mobster that, like, you know, had beautiful strippers like feeding him all the time or something like it's it's that kind of like 
he he's like exemplifying like everything wrong with like the upper class, the people in charge. And all the samurai, because there's the there's a lot of um, I guess you would kind of call them like they're like precursors in a way to like stalk and slash sequences. You know, there's a lot of like mo like luring in samurai with a, a beautiful woman and bringing them back to their house and seducing him and killing him. There's you know kind of that that tension and release type of stuff going on. And there's like three of those and, and, and yes, they're all samurai and they are all samurai of some reasonable stature and, and status. And, and yes, that like their conversations are always like, Oh, if he's a samurai, it's awesome. He can just do whatever he wants and like take whatever he needs. And he, trust me, he's probably some great warrior uh, because we're all, doing awesome and and being a samurai right now is like being a made man we could do whatever we want and they as as they're saying this they're getting like hammered off a of sake yeah like no one will no one can do anything to us like stuff like that yeah 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 like they're basically shown as people that can do whatever and think that they can't be held accountable um, Capitalists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's particularly interesting that they you know went with uh, Raiko because he is generally like, if you think about like, yeah, that's a real even if found away or like uh, Garo Crimson Moon, like he's generally portrayed well. In yeah, so that's like a that, that's an like, actual like, historical figure. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, what? Why? I guess why? I mean, yeah, if he's usually depicted well. Like, why? Why show him as such a slimy, irredeemable pos in this? It would be like if you had like a, a movie with like King Arthur, and he's just like, yeah, I don't care about the peasants. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> um, I mean, that kind of happens in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, the fair, fair fair point. <laughs> this is this is this this movie is quite similar to Monty. <laughs> yeah. and the whole yes, they're exactly the same. Um, but yeah, I wonder. I mean, may, I I have to want. I mean, I don't know. I maybe there's an maybe this has been asked at some point. I mean, guy's dead now. But uh, uh, yeah, I I have to wonder if maybe he almost picked someone that's usually perceived well in because he wanted to be like confrontational because he wanted to be like kind of um because he wanted yeah do you think it was kind of like a all cops are bastards kind of thing like well yeah it's, it's like what it so. seems like it seems like he's really like yeah the i don't know i mean it, it almost seems like this is kind of a japanese period version of a like one percenters are scum kind of kind of outlook um and you know hear him him saying outright you know that he's a socialist um i i don't think that's a bridge too far as far as if we're guessing here um it's unfortunate that uh you know 
uh, Shindo died like 10 years ago now. Before, yeah, before we could get him on Kaiju transmissions, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. To go back to when we <laughs> talked about this particular period of history in the Common Rider Black Sun episode, this is 1968. So, yes, socialism and communism were very popular in Japan at the time. And uh, the unions were very powerful. And they were trying to overthrow the conservative government that's been in control since feudal Japan. <laughs> and uh, they weren't successful in doing so, but this was a time when they came closest to doing so. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of punk rock in this uh, in this in this film here. Um, I feel like normally we get into subtextual stuff after we <laughs> we we uh, kind of give our our thoughts on the movies, so, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this uh, believe it or not, this is only my second time ever seeing this. Um, when I blind bought it around the time it came out on one of the half off Criterion sales. Oh, this was probably a while ago now, but. Um, uh, this is, and I, I didn't really remember it very well. So this was, is, was nice to revisit. Um, I think all of us except for Lux had seen it before. So, um, yeah, Lux overall, what were your kind of first impressions of, of, of this movie? Um, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect, but, um, yeah, I pretty much as, just as, threw out a list of movies and was like, here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd never seen anything by uh, Kaneto Shindo except for Oni Baba um, a long time ago, so I barely remember that movie. Um, but yeah, going into it, I didn't know what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised that it fits into a niche of movies that I enjoy, which is movies that are very understated in how they're presented, um, but have a lot to say in their subtext. Uh, I think. It's very strong in its first and second acts as it's doing um, everything with the Onryo, killing all the samurai to begin with, and then bringing in Gintoki and uh, his story uh, of meeting them and how their story plays out with Gintoki. All of that was beautifully filmed. I loved everything. I loved the way that... Uh, like spotlights were used, mm -hmm. sort of like kabuki theater. Um, the way dancing and stuff is used, like no theater. Um, all of the the very classical theater stuff brought into motion picture was very cool in this movie, and it fits the understated tone of everything. Um, where I thought the movie started to fall apart was the very end, and I, I wish it could have stuck the landing because. Up until that point, I was going to give this thing like five out of five. This movie's awesome, but I feel like it just didn't stick the landing. Okay. Well, we'll get into the ending in a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, that'll just be its own separate thing. Um, so, uh, Kevin, you have seen this before and you watched it again to have it fresh. How, uh, how did it, uh, how did it hold up for you? Uh, yeah, so when I when I first watched it, it was on a bit of, like, a, a ghost cat kick, so I was watching, like, 
uh, Black Cat Mansion and Ghost Cat of Otama Pond and the Haunted Mansion and uh, the, the Haunted Castle, whatever the die one was uh, that has a title like that. There's like a dozen die movies. But anyway, I, I watched a whole bunch of movies that were similar to this at the same time. So it didn't particularly stand out as much as I think it might for other people with me. Um, you know, I, I, I watched it again and I, uh, I, I might, you know, like it a, a bit more this time. Uh, I, I respect the, the theatricality of it. I don't know if it's necessarily my jam, uh, in particular. Um, this is, this is not going to go down on uh, beating, you know, house or, uh, or, uh, a, t- a haunted Turkish bathhouse in my, my, my roster of ghost cat movies, but, uh, it, it's uh, it's not bad. All right, um, Tom. This was a rewatch for you as well. Um, how did it hold up? Uh, see, it's just like a, almost a tough question because apparently I like really, really, really loved this the first time I watched it, and I would say I guess it didn't hold up quite that well, but like still really liked it mm-hmm. a lot i i find it to be really like like lux mentioned when it's in its first couple acts it's so rhythmic it's got this like rhythmic hypnoticism to it where you and it, it, it's it's in all the just the way that it looks and the way that it's filmed and the way that like there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with 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 like the camera and everything and then on top of that there's just that score that's like understated but there and it's got that like pulsing beat to it and it just kind of sucks you in and you can't look away from it and it and it it really is got this like haunting rhythmic beauty to it and then it just kind of it does it does falter a little towards the end but yeah it's it's still really really good and i really like it and i agree i appreciate the the theatrical take to it it's got that kind of like you would see in a play yeah you know, where where by putting you know by by putting makeup over the women's natural eyebrows and putting them more up on top of their heads which would be just something that would be done with like geishas or um, it reminds me of like Princess Kaguya. There's a term a way, for know, it. I don't remember what it is, but you know when they when they like find out that she's a princess and they make her get all dressed up like that. Um, but just by doing that, all of a sudden, all these characters can't recognize them at all anymore. That's got like a very play, uh, like like theatrical kind of feel to it, and I like that. I it. it kind of challenges you to use your imagination a little bit of something that's very difficult i think to get across in film especially you know not use not resorting to like cgi or something like that where the idea is supposed to be that these still have sort of the essence of those two women but something about them just doesn't look exactly quite right to where you're like, ah, I feel like I know you, but I can't place you. It's like one of those things where I imagine if you were writing like the novel Kuroneko or Kuroneko, 
you would you would say something where like out of the corner of his eye he thought it was his wife but when he looked at her she it, it seemed like her face changed suddenly and she no longer recognized you know he no longer recognized her that kind of thing where that would be a really hard thing to do in a visual medium like film but i, I but by portraying it in more of a the way like a play would it it almost helps you to just buy into the illusion better by by not trying to go so over the top with like a makeup job or something that that would make it seem a little more ridiculous or laughable uh so i still really really liked it a lot yeah um like i said this was the second time for me the first time was whenever this blu-ray came out and i long ago long enough ago that i really didn't remember it um but yeah, it's um, uh, I've I've seen this. I've seen Onibaba. It's not as uh, propulsive as Onibaba. It, it's much more like I, I think all of you have said. It has a very um, it's slow and it's deliberate, not in a boring way, but in a way where it's almost like uh, like you guys have said. It's it's. It's more dreamlike. It's more kind of like uh, it has this like trance-like quality to it, um, and it, it it's it's not the kind of movie that I I would have to be in a certain kind of mood for it, um, because you have to kind of be in the mood for something that's going to be really kind of slow and that you can just kind of like like be absorbed by it um and uh yeah that's not just like pacing wise either i mean uh, i'm kind of just echoing a lot of the points you guys made but the score is really cool um and really not like a lot of the kind of scores you hear in movies like this um the the composer hikaru hayashi um it doesn't look like he did a whole lot of movies and uh, most of the ones he did were with shindo um uh but yeah the the art direction is the real showstopper here um i'm the fourth person to say it at this point but it like it there are it, it feels a lot sometimes like you're watching a play um just in how it uses spotlights and how it transitions certain things uh you know transitions certain scenes and settings um gorgeous black and white photography um and uh just a lot of really cool stuff that they do like um you know, there's like scenes that where the like it's taking place inside the house, but in the background you see like um, it's like the forest is moving almost. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like stuff like that that I don't think I've seen anything like that in a movie, really. Um, at least not one like this. Um, it's wild because, like, yeah, that's that stuff is really cool, and if you're watching this on like, you know, uh, less than reputable sites or or even reputable sites, like I, this probably exists buried on YouTube somewhere under like a slightly misspelled name. 
you might think that's one of those moments that like is thrown in with like a, a piece of editing software to like get it to dodge the the copyright detection. Yeah. Uh, but no, it is part of the movie, and it's really really cool. I really like. I really like that. It's like. Like Lux had said, it's like almost disorienting. Yeah, um, and uh, like um, Lux was also saying, like the influence of Japanese, you know, traditional theater, kabuki theater, no theater, is all there, um, and that's where I think there would probably be the biggest cultural disconnect because those. Um, types of that type of theater is very understated you know i mean so you know characters especially the women don't emote a whole lot they're very stoic everything is kind of like under the surface and that that's all intentional um because of that though sometimes they do some cool stuff like um like uh there's very like they'll they'll change something in their makeup ever so slightly to make them look more feline in appearance or or something like that um so it's really got a lot of kind of creative um visual storytelling um that uh yeah i don't know how many movies are quite like it um but uh i know um we were talking about the ending which i think mo i think all of you <laughs> kind of share the opinion that um the third act kind of gets a little wobbly um what exactly uh is i guess the the issue with the third act for for you guys. I think if I had to talk about it, I'd really have to talk about how act two ends because it feels like the first two acts have a very coherent through line with the story and act two ends. And let's just talk about what happens in act two. Uh, Gentoki uh, arrives at the house because he's hunting down these two on Rio who have been killing all the samurai. He, like Tom said, he he realizes but also doesn't realize who they are at first. Like, he can tell that they look like his, his mother and his wife, but he also isn't quite sure. Um, but through their conversation uh, and the way that they treat him, uh, being different from the other samurai that we see previously, they, they they aren't trying to kill him. They're they're just entertaining him, and they have a conversation that's revealing more about their past, which is what makes him. Is, that's what clues him into who they actually are is through the conversation, and he ends up getting enough information out of them that he spends the night with his wife, and. For the next seven, seven days, nights, he, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, so the next seven nights, he keeps on returning to them and spending the nights with his wife, making love to his wife. And unlike the samurai before him, uh, she would murder all of them, but 
all seven nights she just makes love to him and he leaves in the morning um it ends with him coming back uh after the seven uh nights and the only one there is his mother and she reveals to him that uh his wife had broken this deal that they had made with the uh revenge gods of hell or whatever they are and by not killing him and instead embracing the time that she had left with him she only gave herself seven days left to live and she had now returned to hell and she was condemned to be in hell forever because of this uh which i love is this beautiful sort of reverse orpheus and eurydice type thing where you know where orpheus goes down to hell after eurydice dies and uh convinces hades to let him bring her back to the surface um but then at the very you know end of their journey back to the, to the the uh back to the uh, overworld uh he makes this mistake of looking back and she's condemned to hell this is sort of the reverse of that where it's 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 her given the uh the agency she's the one who made the choice where she doesn't want to be uh she wants to try and live with him as much as she can even though she's going to ultimately be condemned to hell no matter what uh it's a beautiful uh thing to be revealed uh heartbreaking conversation with his mother who at this time is still bound by the curse and she isn't allowed to even say that she's his mother even though he knows it's her um when he then returns to his daimyo Raiko, Raiko again is is ordering him to go back and to kill the remaining ghosts because there were two of them and both of them need to die. If he doesn't kill the remaining one, he's going to be dishonored and they'll kill him, blah, blah, blah. So the problem comes up when he goes out to kill his mother with the resolve to kill his mother. And the way it plays out in the movie is she comes out to meet him and says, Hey, I just wanted to see you one more time. I agree. I, I want to go back to hell, uh, you know, with my daughter-in-law, with your wife. But I want you to follow me back to the house in the uh, grove one more time. I have this specific sacred sutra that I want you to chant before it sends me back to hell. So they start riding through the woods, through the grove, and when they step over a puddle, uh, he sees her reflection in the puddle, and it's got this, in the reflection, you see her face is more like this uh, evil, like the kabuki uh, face paint. He can tell she's more like a demon than an actual human, and it's played off where he supposedly thinks it's not actually her, it's a, it's a demon that's come in the guise of her to kill him. So he attacks her in this moment and cuts off her arm and she runs away, uh, which leads to the final uh, act of the movie where uh, he spends seven days sequestered living this lie that he's slayed these ghosts and he's now this amazing samurai who slayed two ghosts. Um, and once more she comes to visit him um, 
this time she's still fully a demon, but also still his mother. But she has resolved to remain a demon at this point because of his betrayal. Just for some reason, the way it all plays out doesn't feel good to me. And I that's I know that's gotta be an intended it's gotta be intentional and it's gotta be part of the tragedy of the ending that's intended. But it's just not it's not fulfilling after the first two acts and how powerful the second act ended. I feel like if it had just ended the way that she said she wanted it to end with him reciting the sacred thing, uh, the sacred sutra, she goes back to hell. Uh, he goes back to the, daime, the daimyo Raiko and says, hey, I've slain them both. He's completely devastated on the inside, but on the outside he's being praised and being elevated to like a daimyo himself. That would have been a very powerful ending in its own way. So, especially with the subtext of the movie that we spoke about with it being about um, you know, him kind of selling his soul to capitalism and giving up on the peasantry of his past life. Uh, yeah, it just it doesn't sit well with me. Is all I want to say. Well, it's interesting you brought up the uh, the whole classist angle. Um, as I'm thumbing through the booklet in the Criterion set, um, basically the interviewer asked, you know, what why why the cat is a symbol in the movie, and he said uh, the idea of the cat came to me because the original story was based on a Japanese folktale called the Cat's Revenge. It was at least partly based on that story. I liked the idea of using the cat because I could express the very low position in society which certain people occupy by uh, uh, by using such a, a useless and low animal as a cat. So the cat is is a metaphor for you know someone at the bottom of uh, the ladder. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, Tom and Kevin, uh, what is that? What Lux just said is that what you feel, or that you feel the ending is lacking, or something else? I, I, I have another uh, gripe with the ending, and it's just, it's the he, he's he's in his his sequestered place. He's at the end of his last day. There comes a knock at the door. It's like, hey, I'm not a ghost. Can you let me in? He's like, I don't know. I don't think I should. Come on, man. I'm not a ghost. It's fine. Like, well, I don't know. Your, your, your boss sent me and said that you should let me in because I'm not a ghost. He's like, well, in that case, my boss sent you. Like, I can't cross these wards. Can you get rid of them for me? Like, uh, I guess so. Like, uh, just be quick on, about man. it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it, the ending is a bit sudden too for me like i don't know there's there's it's like the story itself kind of like starts to like move faster than it was yeah, yeah and the, I, the runtime is an hour and like almost 40 minutes and literally this entire third act only happens in the last 20 minutes right yeah yeah it 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 happens a little suddenly and and it just feels a little unsatisfying. And I, I even think I, I do agree that like, I think it would almost help hammer at home. The, some of the themes, the movie's been playing with more, if it ended kind of the way Lux suggested, but 
I even think the ending would still work well. It just is like too rushed. I don't ever feel like he gets genuinely tricked by that. That's like Kevin's comment. You know, he doesn't get genuinely tricked. He just becomes stupid all of a sudden. And, <laughs> and like, especially him letting her in is not that big of a deal, right? Because she's like, no, I'm. It wasn't just your. It was the emperor who sent me. The emperor sent me, and if you don't let me in, I'm gonna go back to the emperor and tell him, and he's gonna kill you and your daimyo because you don't refuse a request from the emperor. And he's like, all right, I'll open the door. And then she's like, um, but can you take all of the religious artifacts out of here because uh, they're against my religion? And he's like, oh, okay. Like, I feel like, like you said earlier, there's some suspension of disbelief we're supposed to have. Like, this is all part of the the theater. This is very much in line with how it would play out if it was on stage. And we weren't, like, as soon as she walks in the door, like, we can tell it's her. But she does have different, like, makeup on, so, and he doesn't recognize her. So it's like... We're, we're supposed to have this suspension of disbelief, I guess, even though this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in a horror movie. <laughs> well, like, it's, like, really, it is just that where she's like, oh, if you could just take away all of the stuff that's preventing me from touching the arm. And he's like, oh, OK, like that's just there. They're, I don't know the better way to do that, but there probably could have been. And then on top of that, there even though their final kind of battle does get to where he is getting kind of vexed by her constantly evading him, I just don't feel it enough to the point where, like, the movie's doing so many interesting things throughout where, like you said, like like we mentioned, it's like a shot, a still shot of the inside of the cabin, but outside the the bamboo forest is moving and there's like all these really disorienting things that happen here and there throughout. I never feel the disorientation of, uh, Gintoki as he winds up back at the house and collapses in exhaustion and, and everything after having like an epic battle or anything against like a demon. I just don't feel that, that proper buildup to him, Actual, like this is a guy who earlier in the movie we see like sloshing around a rice paddy and you know ev- like evading a giant bear warrior guy kind of guy and outwitting him and defeating him in battle and uh then he like swings his sword around a corner a couple times and he's like dead it just doesn't build up to that enough to me yeah the the, the, the death is a little read. odd yeah, the best faith read I can give to it is that his fight with his mother, for some reason, drives him to complete madness, and I, and I and I feel like this it's part of that whole pullback scene where she jumps up through the ceiling and ascends into the sky, and that's a very long sequence where she's just like floating away from the camera, very like disorienting and mystical. And then from that point forward, it's just him just like swinging his sword, going absolutely batshit, and and just like 
acting like he's in this brutal battle as he fights all the way back to the house and he's still swinging the sword all around fighting in the house until he collapses and it's revealed that he's actually in the burnt house of you know the of you know his his wife and mother um, when the illusion disappears so the, my best faith read is that he is seeing all of this in his head and he's just driven to madness at that point and that's why he's being such an idiot <laughs> but I, it's still it doesn't convey well in the movie yeah um, the chopped off arm is cool looking though it's got a very yeah the big hairy cat arm yeah inhuman look to it yeah, I'm glad they uh, that he removed all of the stuff keeping us from looking at it because when they bring it closer to the camera, it's neat to look at. Um, and then his and then his boss is like, "How do I know you didn't pick up a cat's paw?" And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was supposed to be a joke. What kind? Yeah, what kind of cat did does he think is out there? What? I mean, that's another thing. If you if you're really hammering on the the themes of like these people all being you know the upper class all being like incompetent idiots. Well, there, yeah, there you go. Uh, that's that can <laughs> kind of highlight that. Uh, this guy's like, "Oh, how do I know this isn't a cat's paw?" And it's like, "Well, what are you dumb like?" I, I don't know if he's really incompetent. I think he just like is very lacking in in any sort of empathy because, like, you know, there, there's the there's the bit early on when he. Uh, when when Gintoki first uh, shows up and he's like covered in mud and his clothes are all wrecked and uh, all, all the like you know handmaidens in the house are kind of like snickering at him and and Raiko's just like all right let's let's see this head let's see you know you you, you got the stuff like that's he's very kind of like practical and I you know to to some extent like the saying how how do I know that this is you know something you didn't just find is is like He's always a little skeptical, like, you're not trying to pull something over on me, right? So, yeah, it's very like, it's very just like in general, kind of scathing of like politicians, essentially, you know, because a samurai was the politician of his day. It's, you know, here you have like abject proof of, because he, he earlier in the movie says, like, there's no such thing as demons. I went to go fight a demon and it turned out to just be like a robber in a cave. And, you know, now he has like abject proof in front of him that he was wrong, and he just kind of refuses to acknowledge that because it's that's like what I mean. Look at politics. You <laughs> exactly. Know? He, it's like he has this thing in front of him. Nothing is going to convince him that it's real. So the best thing that he can leap to is that Gintoki is just like he is. He's just he's brought this ridiculous thing in front of him just to prove that he's finished this so why not just embrace it and elevate Gintoki the same way I was we'll make up this story he's some great man and it's over it doesn't matter what actually happened yeah exactly um yeah my, my thing with the ending is more just like it it just seems like the last 20 minutes someone like sat on the chapter skip button or something yes you know <laughs> but uh but it i mean you know i mean that we're 
there's a lot with this movie that overall I would say makes up for where the last 20 minutes or so get a little kooky. Um, yeah, let's talk about the stuff we like in this movie. Well, I it's go- the sound design and the just the overall production design is like I don't, I don't know I don't know how much cooler that stuff gets <laughs> as far as movies go. I think the performances are all really, really good. Too. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's, um, I had a, a conversation on, on, on my podcast. It won't be out for a while, but we talked about just how, even though you're, you're not a native speaker of the language, there are times when the performances are so good that you, mm-hmm. you can just tell yeah. that they're good performances, even though you don't speak the language. And there's some really good performances happening here in in facial expressions and and the way they carry themselves and um i don't know i don't know who to like give credit for you know if it's the actress or the way she's being filmed but a lot of the stuff with how um the wife like moves through the bamboo groves there's times where it, it almost looks like she's kind of floating along the ground rather than than walking and there's some really cool stuff with that and just the way that there's like minimalist movement to her uh and stuff like that and there's some there's there's a lot of good things going on in all of the performances here yeah and the wife or the not the wife the mother was um frankie sakai's wife in the last Mm -hmm. war yeah yep um She's in uh, Onibaba too, but yeah, I mean, it, it it takes a lot to convey some of the stuff that, especially the, the the two lead actresses, um, convey a lot of the emotions that they have to, and still kind of have, being able to pull back a lot too, and still have it all, right there, you know, because it's it is it is working with a lot of the stylings of you know no theater and things like that where. It, everything is super understated, um, and yeah, they 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 they're pretty incredible. Yeah, to take nothing away from the male uh, actors. Oh yeah, in the movie. Yeah, um, they're they're absolutely fantastic, especially the guy who plays Ryko. That dude is so memorable in this role. Um, like you said, he just ex- he chews the scenery. He exudes that same feeling that you would have of uh, like a modern movie with a mobster with you know. Yeah, you just like you he get one look at exactly. him and you just kind of get yeah. like the you just get the creeps. This dude is <laughs> just that kind of Baba. Yeah, a lo- I, I I've noticed a lot of the 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 cast. I mean this. This is fairly close to Onibaba. Yeah, Onibaba was 64. Yeah, so it, it seems like a lot of the in front of and behind the camera are a lot of the same um, same people. Um, well, I mean, especially like with the Nobuko Oda, well, like in that movie, she plays a mother-in-law who yep. lives with her daughter-in-law and they they kill men uh to survive yeah only in that one the husband uh doesn't come the, the son the husband doesn't come back yeah yeah explicit godzilla connection uh the guy who plays raiko is the 
editor of the newspaper in uh, Godzilla 84. Sweet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's, he's the, you know, he's the guy who's like, oh, the big secret is Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and he was, uh, he was a stage actor, I believe, also. Um, but yeah, no, uh, this is a, it's a cool movie. This is, um, a favorite of Guillermo del Toro's also, which I guess probably shouldn't surprise anyone. (laughs) Um, no, this, this, this does have that very uh like in in a lot of ways it has that del toro ness to it where like the the ghosts aren't the thing that the viewer ends up being scared of in the ghost story right yeah or or unnerved by even yeah um Weirdly enough, uh, you know, this this didn't get the kind of success Onibaba did here, um, uh, which is probably because um, Onibaba was a big hit out... Uh, same with Kwaidan. Uh, movies like that were big hits out of Cannes, and the year Kuroneko was going to play at Cannes in 1968... Um, uh, a lot of the French New Wave guys, you know, Truffaut, Goddard, and and so on, uh, led a big protest um, over um, uh, the festival ousting one of the, the, the founding guys and whatever. And it, it was such a big protest that it got the festival canceled. So it didn't play. Um, but, uh, yeah, that recognition would have given it a lot of validation and, and kind of... Uh, Success. Um, it didn't come out here until uh, it played uh, in uh, in uh, New York uh, about six years later, um, and just didn't get much attention. But um, uh, but yeah, uh, that's what we have. You know, the good folks at Criterion here for uh, making sure that weirdos like us can see it. Um, I, I think it's still like more well known here than it is. Yeah, probably. It's gotten a big boost uh, here from like um, art house cinephile types. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that's um, yeah. I mean it, these days it's seen as a classic, and uh, it's because it's a pretty cool movie. Um, hey, the guy who plays the first. Samurai that gets killed, the one who, you know, talks about how awesome it is being a samurai and you can do whatever you want and then he gets drunk. He is the narrator of Yokai Monsters along with ghosts. Oh. Well there you go. I mean that makes sense. I mean they're they're they're, they're both yokai movies from the same time period. So, well that's Did that movie have a narrator? Yeah, it did. Apparently. I think I know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, that's Kuroneko. Is there any, any, have we left any stones unturned that we should be turning? Mm. Don't think so. Yeah, just, just a, a quick search. Like, this movie is, uh, it's, if if you search for it on Amazon Japan, you get uh, 
imports of the uh, Criterion and uh, Eureka discs, uh, but the uh, Japanese discs are. Uh, oh, you can you can get it on VHS tape. So did uh, well. I I know this is um, Shindo's like little independent company, but I know Toho are the distributor. Did they just sit on this over there? Or? I mean, it got released. But, yeah. Um, in terms of like on VHS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not a movie that would look good on VHS. Um, Toho, come on. Yeah, I think maybe no. to mention just one thing that's like probably unrelated, but I think find interesting is um, the connection of Onrio in this movie with their pet cats, the black cat, and then of course decades later we got Jew on the Grudge with Onrio and their pet cat who also got like killed. And them being conflated together, like how we saw uh, the kid Toshio meowing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that happens in a lot of these movies, though. It's not uh, unique to this one. So the cats, uh, do, do, yeah, do the cats typically follow the ghost women around? Yeah, it can it can be a, a situation where you have something like um, the the woman has a cat and the woman gets murdered and then the cat takes on the form of the woman to take revenge or something like that. Or, um, th- those, those kind of stories happen, happen a fair bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cats, cats have a, have like almost like, it's not difficult to see why cats are like mythologized kind of in Japan. Cause we have a lot of the similar like v- views of them. We just haven't, built up a mythology really around them because I don't know, we, we lack awesome imaginations, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, it's, it's all the things of like, they're, they're seen as being kind of lazy because they like sleep all the time, but also at the same time, kind of mysterious because they're difficult to control. You never really know where a cat is unless you like specifically know where it is. They don't have, a lot of gentleness to them, but sometimes can. So they're like, got like a little bit of a two faced kind of uh, connotation to them. All these things like this add up to cats being sort of like, like mysterious figures in Japan. And, you know, there's various types of like cat yokai and, um, cats are seen as like being very similar to, you know, uh, Senin or hermits who like, they go out into the woods, like, like, one of the things that's said about cats is like when you don't know where it is for like hours or days at a time, it's cause it's out in the woods, like practicing its mythological arts and things. So, uh, yeah, cats, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think if, if there's any like good American equivalent, but you know, it's kind of like making like a snake, like the bad thing in, in a movie, like cats being like, a mysterious or sort of dangerous omen is is not uncommon here the closest thing we have that in in japan um and that is in cemeteries it's very common for people to leave offerings for deceased loved ones and a lot of the time that is food and food will attract 
sometimes cats outright and sometimes things that cats like to eat. So cemeteries tend to be loaded with cats. <laughs> so that's kind of how they kind of get that conflation there also. Here, the closest we have is like, oh, black cats are like bad luck. Like... Or the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, how many... Jeez, this is a tough one. Um, how many giant ghost cat arms out of five do you guys want to give Karaneko? Lux, why don't you go first? Well, um, I mean, like I said, I, I love a good understated story, and uh, I love a especially a sad ghost story when it's told well like this one. Um, I feel like the first two acts hit all of the best notes. I love the presentation of how uh, the film has this very intentional, um, slow, brooding, uh, dreamlike atmosphere. Um, it's all very beautifully shot in black and white. Um, the usage of spotlights and the moving backgrounds and all of these different tricks we talked about. I love all of these things. Um, had the movie stuck the ending, I would have given it, like I said, a perfect score. Unfortunately, since I wasn't satisfied at the end of the movie, um, I had to bump it down a little bit. So I'm going to give this movie um, four murdered samurai out of five. Okay. Kevin, where are you at? So I wasn't quite as as enthralled. Like I, and maybe part of it is going in with high expectations, knowing that it's something that has this this prestige of you know Criterion all over it or, or or whatever. But and maybe part of it is just kind of getting really immersed into the yokai boom stuff and all the all of the like ghost cat movies that came a long time kind of before this and then the few that came after it. But like it, it kind of like it feels like one of the pack to me, so to speak, not to make too much of a cap on there. Um, and so it's, it's good. I'm, I'm just not completely like floored by it. So, um, I'd probably give it a, a three and a half, uh, name drops of, of legendary heroes who don't appear in this picture. They're <laughs> not appearing in this film. This is getting more and more like Monty Python as we go along. <laughs> that, that, that's true. <laughs> Can't you see the violence inherent in the system? <laughs> help, help, they're being <laughs> repressed. Uh, yeah, I um, I think it's beautiful, it's rhythmic, it's haunting, it's unique. I think there's a lot of great tension and release. You know, like, like Lux had mentioned, with the moving backgrounds and things like that. I think if you really allow yourself to get kind of swept up in it there's a lot of good build of tension in those sequences where they're drawing these samurai in and and you're especially the first encounter you're not exactly sure what's going to happen and so there's a lot of good tension and release and like i said kind of the the stalk and slash type of sequences i think are like really good um and there's great drama throughout the movie. I, I think, you know, it, the movie does a really good job. I hadn't seen it in about three or four years at this point. 
and I had completely forgotten that the guy who who comes out of the bamboo grove is actually the the husband and son, right? Because he's like all messy and dirty, and so there's a really good sequence of them like washing him, and you see him getting like cleaner and cleaner and everything. Um, and and so the movie does a very good job of kind of playing out those details and and kind of feeding them to you at the appropriate times along the way. But then, uh, yeah, the ending does does taper it down. It just feels like it's it it happens too fast, um, and so I still think it's awesome. Though I really really like it a lot. I am at a very solid four out of five. Okay, um, I'm a little leaning more towards Kevin. Uh, it's a really cool movie, um, and um, I definitely see why it is kind of you know the kind of classic that it is. Why I see why, especially other filmmakers would look at this and be like, "Wow." Um, and it's a unique movie, um, but it's a movie I wouldn't go. I would have to be in a very specific mood to watch it. So it's not the kind of thing that I would have in a regular rotation. Um, but it's really, really good. Um, and yeah, I got to dock it a little bit for, uh, the last, you know, act being a little rushed. So I'm going to go, I'm leaning more on Kevin's side at a three and a half. Um, but I definitely recommend it if, um, you know, if anyone hasn't seen it, I mean, check it out. If you have a Criterion channel, check it out. You know, uh, you know, if you buy a lot of Criterion stuff when they do the half-off sales, check it out. Um, if if you like, you know, Japanese period horror, I mean, this is easily easily worth watching. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's Kuroneko. Um and uh, yeah, I look forward to getting into more horror hijinks with y'all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess we're, we're good to get out of here. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.